You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min Football Network. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simu, and on this edition of the show, we're going to be looking back on Arsenal's 2-0 victory over Leicester City at Emirates Stadium. Another step towards Champions League qualification, another step towards our season objective. Now, we're not there yet, and there's still a hell of a long way to go. There really is. But, um, yeah, you know, we, we, we're we taking a, another step every week now, it seems. We're, we're moving in the right direction. The team is ticking. We're playing good on the eye, uh, enjoyable, and most importantly, effective football. Um, there's a real connection forming and developing between this group of players, the manager and the fans, particularly in the stadium. I know there is still quite a lot of division around Mikel Arteta outside of Emirates Stadium, like on Twitter and and sort of some of the other social media platforms from which you can normally gauge kind of where the opinion is at. But I tell you what, there is um, there is something special brewing at Arsenal. There really, really is. And I can't remember enjoying my team this much in a long, long time. I can't remember seeing the fans as united within the stadium for a long, long time. I feel like because of that, we're now in a position where we can deal with setbacks and we can deal with them quicker and more effectively than we maybe would have done in the past. And I feel like just I feel in love with Arsenal again. And, you know, obviously, like just like a relationship, you have amazing periods, you have decent periods, you have some low periods and it's kind of up and down all the way. But when it comes to to Arsenal right now, I'm, I'm as I said in that, instant reaction video from the stadium. I am so invested in this team. I'm buzzing. I'm I'm cheering every Arsenal goal sort of more than I would have cheered Arsenal goals in recent seasons. Not because I didn't want Arsenal to win on those occasions, but I'm desperate now, absolutely desperate for this team, this manager um, and for the club in general to succeed. I really want to see it. And um, and it's an amazing feeling again to feel that connection with the club. Let's say a few hellos uh, in the chat box because there's lots of you in the live chat. Uh, I hope you're all good. Hope you're all well. I have to um, apologise uh, for being a little bit late on the live stream. If you are watching us live, I do apologise. Um, had a, a family member over from um, abroad, took him to the game with me. We went and got something to eat after the game. Uh, and then I had to drop him off where he was staying. And I got, um, I got, caught in conversation. So I'm a few minutes late, but it's all good. It's all good. Um, it's all good because we won, right? So everybody's in a good mood. So uh, timing, uh, irrelevant. You know, if you had to stay up an extra five, 10 minutes, I apologize, but I promise you it'll be worth it because you're going to hear me wax lyrical about Arsenal for the next sort of uh, 30, 40 minutes. So um, let's, um, let's, let's kick off with kind of how I was feeling going into the game. And I, and I said that, well, my prediction was that it would be a narrow win. Arsenal would probably win this by a goal to nil. It wasn't a million miles off. It was 2-0 in the end. Um, but the difference kind of is now with Arsenal is that you look at this Arsenal side and you do feel like even if we're not at our brilliant best, even if we're not amazing for 90 minutes or 60 minutes or 70 minutes, that we now seem to have this defensive solidarity. And listen, there have been some games in and amongst this season that have you know, been contrary to this theory. You know, there have been games where we've made mistakes. There have been games where defensively we haven't looked quite at it. But overall, this is a much more defensively strong outfit than we've seen at Arsenal in many, many seasons. And that's not just because of the back four. Now, the back four are really impressive as well. You know, Kieran Tierney, we all know what a brilliant player he is. Gabriel, developing all the time. Ben White is coming and I think has been a real breath of fresh air. You look at right back, even Cedric right now is playing at a really, really good level. So you take that into account, you take into account that we've got a better goalkeeper in Aaron Ramsdale who offers us so much more, then naturally we're going to have a better defence. But we also defend so much better 
all around the pitch. We defend from the front. And that is set, or, or that precedent is set by a number of players. You know, Martin Odegaard is at the forefront of that all the time. Alexander Lacazette, look, we know that he's not the best striker in the world. We know that there are shortcomings in Alexander Lacazette's game. And we'll come on to talk about individual performances in a bit. But he he presses, he works, he, he does his shift for the team. And it just feels like now you look around that group and everybody expects of one another a certain level of commitment and a certain level uh, of performance. And, and you look in the midfield and you look at the fact that, you know, I think Granit Xhaka alongside Thomas Partey is our most, um, you know, sturdy midfield combination of Xhaka's role has changed uh, a little bit recently. I think, although today in the second half, he was a little bit more conservative than he was in the first half in terms of his positioning. Thomas Partey's in good form. And all of that combined makes us a much more uh, cohesive and and defensively strong unit. So those are all positives to take away. But, you know, one of the big criticisms we've always had of Mikel Arteta is that maybe at times things have been a little bit rigid, that the football hasn't always been as free-flowing as we'd like it to be, that we've been a little bit predictable in the way we build up. Well, that spontaneity and energy um, that we were missing in that area of the pitch is clearly there now for everybody to see it. Martin Odegaard is at the absolute epicentre of this. And on tomorrow's tactical analysis, we're going to focus on Martin Odegaard because he is just performing on an incredibly high level now. And listen, I'm not one to normally cook up and serve humble pie. But I remember during the summer when I kept saying that not sure about James Madison. I'm not sure if at £60 million or whatever it was the, the rumoured asking price was going to be, I wasn't sure whether that would be a worthwhile investment. I wasn't sure if he was the right player for us. And the reasons I kept saying were, A, you're taking him from a Premier League rival, which means you're going to pay more than what he's worth. You're going to have to really break the bank to do that deal. But also, I kept saying, and I remember saying this repeatedly throughout the summer, in terms of their ceilings, in terms of their absolute maximums, in terms of their potential, Martin Odegaard has the potential to get to a much higher level than James Madison does. And we are seeing this now. James Madison, look, I'm not going to judge him based solely on one game. That's not fair. Not going to base him on today's performance. But in comparison to Martin Odegaard, he was completely anonymous. Odegaard was defensively brilliant, energetic all over the pitch. Um, you know, drifting out to the right-hand side as he so often does, but also being willing to come across and help out on the other side too. He was magnificent with the ball at his feet. Some of the passes that Martin Odegaard produced this evening were a joy to behold. Beautiful stuff. The vision he showed at certain times where he'd pick up the ball in a position and you kind of thought that you knew what he was going to do with it. And he just, looking the other way, he pulls out this completely unexpected pass at a really difficult angle and creates us another overload and another bit of space. He was just so, for me, um, instrumental today. And as every week goes by, we're seeing more and more and more from Martin Odegaard. You are looking at a guy who has the potential to go on and be one of Europe's elite. Now, I'm not going to get massively carried away. I'm not going to sit there and start comparing him to other people. I don't want to do that. But what I'm saying is that you are beginning to see why Arsenal felt that at £30 million, this was a deal that they had to do. You're beginning to see why Arsenal thought with Martin Odegaard that if there was a possibility towards the back end of the window that they could twist Real Madrid's arm into selling him, that they needed to be there and ready to pounce on that opportunity, as opposed to turning their attention elsewhere too early and potentially missing out on the player that they thought would be the right fit in the long term. They stuck to their guns. They kept tabs on him. They obviously knew a lot about his potential and his ability and, and perhaps most importantly, his character from the time he'd already spent at the club. And Arsenal identified him as the perfect fit. They've made the signing. And I don't think pound for pound in the Premier League right now, you will find another signing more shrewd, more smart, and with the potential to go on and be a real game changer for the club, then Martin Odegaard. £30 million. £30 million 
right now is is chump change. It's nothing. You're talking about a 23-year-old with the level of experience that Martin Odegaard has, having joined Real Madrid at such a young age, having been through all that, having been on various loan spells. We have provided this absolute gem of a talent, a home, somewhere where he can feel like he's part of the programme, somewhere where he can feel like he is one of the main, um, uh, to use a new Emery term, protagonists uh, to what, what we are creating. And I, I just love it. I, honestly, I, it's a joy to behold. And for me, I, I think I made the comparison last week. I think I called him a Mesut Ozil with work rate. And that isn't, you know, people, when I used that term last week, a couple of people kind of messaged me and was like, how can you compare Martin Odegaard to Mesut Ozil? Um, Mesut Ozil won X, Y, Z in the game. And then other people were on the other side and going, well, how can you compare Mesut Ozil to Martin Odegaard? Martin Odegaard's, um, you know, much better than Mesut Ozil, much more committed than Mesut Ozil. The point I'm trying to make is that this guy has the ability to drop into spaces with such regularity, to identify spaces and then make moves into them, receive the ball and pick out passes that the normal human eye doesn't see or pick them out before the normal human eye sees them. Thread balls through the eye of a needle, keep a certain tempo to our game and a rhythm to our game that I think without a player like that, we're often missing. He's got so much to offer um, on the ball, just like Mesut Ozil did, technically brilliant, but also off the ball, he's just on a completely different level to so many others. And that, for me, is is the difference. You know, and that's why he's the perfect Mikel Arteta player, because he gives you all of those things that you want from a creative midfielder on the ball, but also gives you the kind of work rate that, is, you know, it can be, or you can compare to some of the best and hardest working players in the world. I just think he's honestly on another planet right now. And we talk a lot about Bukayo Saka and how good he's been this season and how he kind of bounced back from that really disappointing moment in the summer and has taken it in his stride and progressed and developed and got better and better with each passing week. When he's got Martin Odegaard in and around him, coming out to support him on that right-hand side, combining with him, able to receive the ball off of uh, off of Saka and then ping a ball back into the space for him to then run onto. It's just, for me, um, it, it, he just brings the best out of the players around him as well. But I don't just want to go massive on the Martin Odegaard praise tonight. Look, I know he was brilliant and I know he was instrumental to everything that Arsenal did well in an attacking sense and and perhaps a defensive sense in a lot of instances as well tonight. I want to go big on Thomas Partey as well, because he has just slowly been kind of chugging away and getting into top form, getting into something that we all knew he was capable of when we signed him. He is bossing that midfield at the moment. He really, really is. He's playing with a confidence. He's playing with a freedom. It's taken him some time to adapt to the Premier League. Let's not shy away from that fact. And for me, I think a lot of his adaptation was with regards to fitness. It was about getting himself up to speed fitness-wise, um, understanding what he was coming up against, maybe making himself a little bit more robust, maybe doing some gym work. I don't know exactly what Thomas Partey's regime was behind the scenes. But what I do know is that the Thomas Partey I'm seeing today is the Thomas Partey we all thought we were getting. He has finally arrived from Atletico Madrid and is key in the middle of the park. He facilitates us being able to commit more bodies forward. His calmness on and composure on the ball when he receives it in the midfield is brilliant. He's got the ability to hold people off, spin away. He's got the ability to pick out passes. He got on the score sheet today um, with a brilliant header at the near post. It was awful defending, by the way. Uh, from uh, from those in Leicester colours. But he got there, he nodded it in and he scored a goal with his head, didn't he, against Aston Villa uh, from a similar kind of position. He hit the crossbar as well, desperately unlucky not to uh, score that as well. But it's just, um, you know, everybody's kind of coming to top form and everybody seems to be singing from the same hymn sheet at the moment. And this is what we've been waiting for. Patience was the word that was kind of going around, you know, a few months ago, there were people that wanted Mikel Arteta out. And I'm not going to lie and say that I never wobbled on Mikel Arteta. I did. At least twice, 
I was seriously thinking about whether or not we should be keeping this guy in the job and whether or not we should be moving forward with him, whether or not we could afford to give him any longer. But now, given that I would say overall I backed him and supported him, and my God, I've taken a lot of flack for that. And, and there's a long way to go. It's not done just yet. But I would say that I feel vindicated in supporting him because we are now seeing a couple of years worth of work coming together. And, and unfortunately in football, you know, we're in this world where we want instant gratification. We want instant success all the bloody time. But it doesn't work like that. It's never that simple. It's never that easy. Lots of changes need to, to be made. Those changes in terms of personnel help to change a culture. A culture which helped to change the belief, which then translates into the types of performances that we are now seeing on the pitch every passing week. And even when Arsenal aren't really clicking, even when you look at this Arsenal side now and you think, well, we're not, you know, it's just not really working today. It's not our day. And every team has those days. You know, you're going to get commitment. You know, you're going to get fight until the very last minute. You know that you're going to get see desire. You know that you're going to see passion. And you know that all of the players in and around this club right now are here for the cause. And it's truly amazing to see. Let's go through the team and, and talk about some of the individual performances. And we're going to take some of your questions a little bit later on in the show. So hold fire on those. Before I do that, though, just a quick reminder. that If you haven't done so already, please do hit that like button. There's over 300-ish of you watching us. Uh, live right now across the multiple platforms. We've only got 61 likes on the board, though. Let's get that up ASAP. Also, if you want to become a member of the channel, you can do so by clicking on the link in the description. It really, really does help. And you, if you're not, uh, if if you don't want to become a member and you just want to subscribe, that's brilliant too. Please do subscribe because we're trying, trying to get to that 20k mark by the end of the current season. Um, and we're on 19.2. I think we're, we're moving slowly, but we want to get there by the end of the season. If we get there before the end of the season, I said I'm going to give away two Arsenal shirts instead of one. So uh, the incentive's there for you guys as well. Um, yeah, I mean, look, it's it's really good to go to Arsenal and, as I say, feel all those things that we're feeling at the moment. But in terms of the overall performance today, did I think it was amazing? No, I didn't. Um, I thought that it was a really good start from Arsenal. I thought we set the right tempo. I thought we, um, I, I thought we set the right tempo. I thought we set our stall out nice and early. And when you score that early in a game where you expect it to be quite tough and quite difficult, and you expect your opponent to be a little bit more resilient. Now, I said in the in the pre match podcast that. I didn't really think that Brendan Rodgers' sides were the type of sides that were going to come there and be very defensively compact and, and very um, sort of reluctant to be adventurous. They they set up today with a back four, um, as was expected. They I thought they tried to overload us in the midfield with Mendy, Jewsbury Hall, Madison in there as well. I think that was their aim. That was their game plan. But they were at times quite deep and, and they were at times quite difficult to break down. But we did really well in the early stages, as I say, of setting that tempo from the beginning and making sure that we put them under pressure early on. And when you get the goal that we did, um, Thomas Partey, of course, coming across the near post and heading home um, after just 11 minutes, then that really puts you in a strong position because now they have to come onto you. It gives you the opportunity to exploit spaces in behind and play very much on the counter-attack which is always or, or can be much easier than um, than trying to break down a stubborn defensive unit. So the, the early goal was important. And I think that one of the reasons we've seen in general, and there have been a couple of games where it's not happened, but one of the reasons we've seen in general uh, under Mikel Arteta fast starts of late is for that very reason, because we understand and we know and we, we get that the longer the game goes on, the harder it can be sometimes to break teams down. But if you do get that breakthrough early, if you catch people a little bit off guard, if you catch people cold at the start of football matches, you can put yourself in a really, really strong position. And we did that today. Um, I thought towards the end of the first half, we looked a little bit shaky, though. We just seemed to drop off of Leicester a little bit. I don't know if the energy levels were suffering a little bit or what it was. Did we get a little bit 
too comfortable? Did we start to be a little bit too cautious? I'm not really sure what the cause was of it was, but it felt like um, at the end of the uh, at the end of the first half, we were struggling and we'd lost our way. And Leicester made a couple of kind of opportunities. There was that one where Ramsdale made the save coming out to his right. And there was the save that Ramsdale made from the header as well. And you kind of thought to yourself, well, we're in danger of letting this slip. And all of a sudden, you know, if you can see an equaliser at that point, I'm not saying that the atmosphere would have turned toxic or nasty because I've been talking about how uh, how different that's been of late and how how the fans have really been behind the team and stuck with the team. But it does galvanise the opponent and it does naturally take a little bit of wind out of your sails. And we we were professional in that we we made we had a couple of moments that were a bit hairy and we managed to kind of get out of them courtesy of having a good goalkeeper and that can be the difference between points and not getting points but i was saying at the time when i was watching the game that half time when the half time whistle went it came at a very very good time for us because it just gave Mikel Arteta the opportunity to get everybody back in the dressing room to regroup and to maybe recalibrate that focus because it was um, a, a, a struggle, but having said that, you know, I say I said that at the time, and I thought that at the time, but maybe that's just me striving for perfection in terms of what I want to see from this Arsenal team because this is a Leicester side that, you know, yeah, okay, they had players missing, you know, it wasn't the strongest Leicester side. There was a couple of uh, notable absentees, you know, um, Tielemans, I'm assuming, wasn't fit enough to start because why else would he not be? Uh, in the side. I know there's been some issues at Leicester where a few players have been dropped for not really performing uh, to the right level. But you still look at people like Madison, Ian Acho, Barnes, um, who's had a, a, a very good season, I would say, so far. And and perhaps you've got to accept and understand that you're not going to have it your own way for 90 minutes. And there will be periods like that. It's just important that you ride them out. And we did ride it out. But as I say, half time for me came at the perfect time. We got in there, we come out again and we had the energy and we had a zest again. And in the second half, we limited Leicester to very, very little. It was a really good defensive performance from Arsenal. I, I, I thought it was uh, it was brilliant. But then comes the big moment. And, and the big moment is, of course, uh, the penalty. Now, listen, I was at the other end of the pitch, but I thought I saw a handball. Now... I think that the decision around whether it was a a penalty or not, whether it should have been a penalty or not, was a straightforward one. And I couldn't, for the life of me, work out why on earth it was taking so, so long for the VAR to come up with the with the decision, for the VAR to come to the conclusion. I just thought it was madness to me that it had just gone on for so, so long, like... I'm watching it again now as, I, as I'm speaking, and it was obviously struck towards goal, and Partey goes to head it in, and there's appeals instantly from about four or five Arsenal players um, suggesting that it comes off Soyuncu's hand, and it does. Now, Soyuncu's hand, what it does is it just takes the sting out of Thomas Partey's header and then allows the defender that extra split second he needs to get back onto the line and hook it clear. So that handball is directly impacting, right? It's directly preventing a goal, in my opinion, because I don't think the defender that does eventually get back on the line gets there if Soyuncu's hand doesn't just take a little bit off the pace of the ball that's headed towards the goal. But I'm standing in the stadium and, okay, Anthony Taylor, you know, the next moment that the ball went out was very quick to kind of, I think it went out for a throw-in and he kind of put his arm out as if to say, like, wait, we're going to the VAR and the VAR check just went on for an age. It felt like an absolute age. And then Anthony Taylor goes over to the screen and you see him make the sign and then run over. And you're thinking, OK, well, he's definitely going to give it now because how often the referees go to the screen and not give the decision that they're being advised to make. But then he goes to the screen and again, he's taking an age. He's standing there. He's looking at it. He's looking at it. He's looking at it and you're standing there in the ground going, this is bloody Arsenal. I wouldn't be surprised if he's looking for something, some reason not to give that as a handball, despite how blatant it was. Now, one of my mates was WhatsApping me during the game and obviously he had the benefit of watching it on TV. Um, I wasn't watching it. Um, 
on the TV. I was in the stadium, so I didn't have the benefit of any replays. And he thought or suggested that perhaps what Anthony Taylor was looking at was whether or not Suyonchu was the last man, as in was he the was it a handball by the guy, or, or was he denying a clear goal, or or was it something that you know it wasn't a clear goal and, and perhaps the defender would have got back anyway? It doesn't make it not a handball, but I guess it impacts on what the decision was going to be with regards to the colour of the card, maybe. Um, and, and I don't know this. This is what a mate of mine kind of suggested. And actually thinking about it, it probably makes sense. Because if you're telling me that VAR and Anthony Taylor as a, a combination needed that long to decide whether or not that was a handball, a simple call like that, then as much as I back VAR and think it's a good thing for football and just think that the people running it are morons and that once their standard is is improved upon and gets to a certain level, VAR will work perfectly fine. If, if VAR is going to take that long to make a simple decision like that, then it probably needs to get in the bin. And and it, it, it's a shame because, you know, on the one hand, you're looking at it and you're going, well, if VAR is not there, we don't get that penalty, which is clear as day because Anthony Taylor's not good enough to spot that in real time. Yet the VAR still needs to take Yet we, so, sorry, so we want the VAR in that sense because the standard of officiating without it is not good enough. But then it still takes an age because, again, the standard of officiating is not good enough. I'd have looked at that in 10 seconds and gone, penalty, done. So the only explanation is that perhaps, and I don't know this, Anthony Taylor was looking to try and work out and establish what the colour of the card should be for Kaglar Suyonchu. That's the only thing I can think of. Maybe I'm giving him too much credit. Maybe I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt. But yeah, um, so that that was a big, big moment. And Lacazette steps up. And I'm never 100% confident when Lacazette uh, steps up in those situations. And, and from being sort of behind it, when he hit the ball, I thought it was destined for the top corner of the stand. But he managed to to keep it in and, and keep it down and, and put it in the back of the net. And it was a big, big goal for Arsenal because it not only put us in a really strong and commanding position from which we were very likely to go on and see the game out. But it also, um, it also, I think, gives him a bit more confidence because, look, I don't think Lacazette's one of those guys that goes home every night and, and gets upset because Arsenal fans don't always think he's the best striker in the world and are maybe talking about who should come in next. But I do think he's someone that is very selfless, very unselfish and sometimes in and among all of that, in and among being obsessed with being the right role model, helping his teammates through difficult moments, guiding them in the right direction, doing the job that he's required to do from a, a system perspective. He sometimes kind of probably has to sacrifice his own wants. And what I mean by that is as a striker, there is an element of selfishness required. And I've just talked about how Lacazette is very selfless and unselfish. And, and I think sometimes that muddies the waters a little bit with Lacazette because he knows he should score more goals and he knows he should contribute more in that sense. But he also knows that he's at his best and the team is at his best when he is selfless and unselfish. So there's this kind of, this battle that Alexander Lacazette has to kind of face every game between what he knows is the right thing to do for the team and probably what he thinks is the right thing to do for himself. And more often than not, the team win that battle and he comes out on top in that sense. But I think for Lacazette, because of that and because of the sacrifices I think he makes to his own game for the good of the team, I think that he he needs moments like that to just kind of keep him going, keep him ticking along and keep that confidence to a certain level. When I say that, I don't mean when I go back to what I just said, because I know somebody, somebody's going to pick up on this. I'm not saying that he doesn't score goals because he doesn't want to score goals. I'm saying that he prioritises the other work that he does ahead of always being in those positions or being selfish in certain moments because it might benefit him. It's all about the team of Alexander Lacazette. He's... he's a real model professional, and I'm really, really enjoying, um, you know, what I'm seeing from him. Um, let's 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 run through the team then, just quickly, and then we'll take some of your questions in the chat. So start getting your questions in the chat, and we work our way through as many of those 
uh, as we possibly can in the next sort of 15 minutes or so. Don't forget to hit the like button if you haven't done so already. Plenty of you watching. There's no reason why we shouldn't actually hit uh, 250 likes. So let's try and get there. ASAP. Like, 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 subscribe, subscribe, subscribe and help us get to where we want to get to as well by the end of the season. Questions in while I just quickly run through the team. Ramsdale, really good performance, really confident, uh, brings us that real stability. Made a couple of really good stops today. Couple in the first half in particular. Um, and uh, yeah, really good to see him. Uh, maintaining his level. So, yeah, brilliant performance from him. The save in the first half, a lot of people made a lot of that save where he dived to his right and got a big hand to it. I actually think, having watched that back, that that's a save that I expect Aaron Ramsdale to make. The ball is close enough to him and a goalkeeper at the highest level should make that save. So, it's a bit of a camera save for me, although a good one, but one I, I expect him to make. Um, if we go sort of through the defence. Cedric, again, another really solid and no frills, I guess, um, performance from Cedric. And I've said this to you guys before. I said it last season at various points, and I'll say it again, uh, because I think we've, we're seeing this theory be proven correct or pretty spot on anyway. Um, once again, he is a player to me that needs to play regularly. There are some players that find it very, very difficult having been out in the cold for a while to come in cold and get up to speed just like that. There are other players who don't really struggle with that. Over the years, we've seen a lot of players that you'd call a super sub, right? People who can come on in certain game states and be ready to go from the first minute, from the first second. If you think back to when Cedric was decent last season, and I know people make a joke of this, but there was a point where he was playing pretty well at right back. And there was a point where he was covering at left back. And for the most part, barring a couple of mistakes where he got caught out just for being on his wrong side, not his fault. Um, he was pretty good. But all of those little spells that we saw from Cedric coincided with him having a run in the team. He needs a run in the team to be at his best. He's currently having a run. And I think he's playing really, really well at the moment. We haven't really missed Takahiro Tomiyasu, who's an excellent player. So the fact that we're not missing him, I think, says quite a bit uh, about the level of performances um, that he's putting in at the moment. Um, you know, so he was very good. I thought Ben White was very good again as well. Very calm. And that's a big thing for me with Ben White. The fact that he is so calm is um, is massive because it just... Sometimes in a defence, that the last thing you need is panic. And at times in the past, we've seen panic. And sometimes panic as a centre-back can lead to giving penalties away, can lead to making rash decisions in terms of coming into the back of people and all sorts. But with Ben White, that, that calmness that he brings is just the perfect complement for Gabriel's sometimes aggression. So to have one aggressor who is very strong, very physical, so much so that he would just barge someone out of the way and then take the ball down on his chest like an absolute beast. Um, you know, he's, he's good. It, to have two different types of centre-halves really does um, mean that they complement one another quite well. Um, and also Ben White made that amazing interception or challenge. Um you know, in the in the first half to deny what looked like a certain goal as well. So fair play to him, really good display. Gabriel was was back to Gabriel tonight, uh, this afternoon. And the reason I say that, just, you know, there were signs in that Wolves game he was a little bit sloppy and I didn't think he was immaculate at Watford last week either. So to see him kind of bounce back from that pretty quickly and turn in a good performance again today um, was, was obviously positive and, and obviously very encouraging. Kieran Tierney, very, very good at left back. A little bit more adventurous going forward this time. And I've recently done a couple of episodes and a couple of articles where I was talking about maybe a little bit of a reluctance in um, in Tierney. Not because he doesn't want to do it, but just because of maybe the demands of the, the system after the Granite Xhaka tweet. And maybe because fitness... Um, is something that's playing on the back of his mind. I don't know. But today he looked a lot better. He looked a lot more rounded in his performance. 
Thomas Partey have waxed lyrical about already. Absolute Rolls-Royce of a midfielder who seems to be getting better and better. Odegaard, superb today. Um, Saka, threatening a lot of the time, but not the best Bukayo Saka. Uh, but fortunately, right now, we've got players that can step up in other areas and, and mean that that's not too much of an issue. Martinelli, brilliant delivery in for Thomas Partey's goal. And again, very energetic. Again, helped to set the tempo. I thought a couple of times today he was a little bit wasteful when he got the ball out on the left-hand side. I thought he could have been a little bit smarter in his use of it. I thought um, he looked a little bit raw in terms of his decision-making again. But that's going to happen from time to time with a young lad. And Laka leading the line, setting the example and got a very much-needed goal as well. Um, so, yeah, fantastic stuff. Uh, right, let me take some of these questions then. Um Let's take this super chat from Harry Fenwick. Thank you so, so much, mate, uh, for your very kind donation. That is one hell of a profile picture you got there as well. Who is that absolute legend? Good-looking guy. Even no, I'm joking. Uh, he says, imagine Ossiman instead of Laka. We're not far. Yeah, look, this is the thing, man. We're playing this way with a striker that many people would argue is an elite. So what would we do with an elite striker? The only thing I would say, though, is that would someone who regards themselves as an elite striker and who is as selfish as elite strikers need to be, would that player give you then what Lacazette gives you in terms of all the other elements of the game? And that's why I'm like looking at some of these players, I'm thinking, all right, you're, you're 70 million, you're 75 million, but are you going to come in and give me what I am currently getting? That you're going to give me more goals. You're going to give me definitely more goals. But are we going to create you as many chances? Are we going to be as creative as a team if we take away the link-up play or reduce the level of the link-up play by going out and signing a striker whom that is not necessarily their forte? That's my kind of reservation. And, I, and that's why I think that we kind of have become a little bit obsessed with goal returns and assists and I can't remember who it was. I think it was uh, Bernardo Silva of Manchester City recently done this really, really interesting interview where he basically said that we've become obsessed with goals and assists and stats and, and that's how we judge football players. But actually, it's not just about that. And Lacazette is a, is a prime example of this fit, uh, sorry, of this theory. His role in this team is so important and so key. Yet, if you look at his returns, you would say he's quite easily replaceable. But it's not just about that. And... Um, and that's my worry about the summer. It's that we need to go and sign a striker who perhaps in terms of his goal record might to us look a little bit underwhelming. But if the rest of his game is right, then that's something we can work on and something we can develop and hopefully something that we'll see uh, turn around a little bit later on. So, um, yeah. Uh, Junior Gunner says, uh, Harry, is this the best football you've seen us play since the back mid end? Uh, sorry, back mid to back end of the Wenger era. Is this the best football I've seen us play in a while? Yeah, it is. But it's because it's being played with an energy as well. Like, uh, there's obviously quality in it, okay, in the likes of Odegaard and Saka and various other players, Partey now as well. But it's about the energy that we're playing with and it's about the whole, what's the word? Like, the energy that we are creating. Like, you go to Emirates now and you feel like we can beat anyone. And you feel like we can beat anyone because the crowd has found a voice. The players feed off that. The players feed off one another. You've got a manager on the touchline who is really kind of intense. And that is translating onto the pitch. So we played some great stuff under Arsene Wenger. We did, you know. And even towards the back end, there were moments, weren't there, where you went, yeah, this is Wenger ball. But we never had that intensity, this desire, this passion, this fight. And that's what evaded us in the end under Arsene Wenger. And Mikel Arteta has brought all of that back. So I'd have to say that, yeah, post-Wenger, it's definitely the best. It's better than the football that we saw from Unai Emery. Um, you know, there are a couple of goals that people keep fucking posting highlight reels of and stuff. But yeah, no, that's um, that's where I'm at um, on that. I think we're seeing something really special at the moment. Uh, Matt Tomos, is any word on the Saka injury? Uh, not that I know of, but... I haven't done any or I haven't watched the press conference yet. 
Um, and I haven't watched the game back yet. I will be watching the game back for tomorrow's tactical analysis show. But I always like to bring you these shows on the night of the game. Um, and I got back, as I mentioned, um, just a few minutes before we went live. So um, I will follow up on all of that and we'll we'll update you. I'm sure you'll get updated by Twitter because Twitter just does everything before anybody else. But we um, we will talk about that in a little bit more detail once we have some more info on upcoming shows. Um, oh, sorry, just, just before I move on, on that Saka point, I did think Saka could have come off earlier. I was kind of standing there thinking, well, the geezer looks shattered. Take him off. And I and I said to the guy next to me when we were talking, and when the when Nicholas Pepe got stripped and ready to come on, uh, sorry, Emil Smith Rowe got stripped and ready to come on. He went, I would take off Saka, wouldn't you? And I said, Yeah. I said he looks knackered, he looks tired. You know, I, I think I would take him off as well. But I said, but he won't. He'll take Martinelli off, and that's exactly what he did. And there seems to be this kind of like I'm not going to take Saka off until the very bitter end of games. Is it because he's trying to show to him that he is at the forefront of the plans, that he is really important? You know, there's been a lot of talk about him potentially moving on, other clubs that are looking at him. I just wonder if that's Mikel Arteta's show of faith. I don't know, but fingers crossed it's not anything serious. Uh, Creambone says, Harry, I asked you after the Liverpool nil-nil if that was a coming-of-age performance. Your thoughts now? I think it's really difficult to kind of pinpoint individual moments and say this was the coming of age moment I I get what you're saying um I thought it was a big moment in that we gained a lot of confidence from going to Anfield and under those circumstances leaving with a draw and leaving with our heads held high so I do think that that was a big part but I think as you develop and as you grow as a team there'll be lots of moments that will shape your mentality and will contribute to that to reaching that point where you've come of age so I think that that's one of them but I think there's been a few um, moments like that and I think between now and the end of the season if all goes the way we want it to we'll probably see a few more of those as well um Moss says that Harry it was a good thing not noticing Xhaka at all except for his intentional handball <laughs> yeah that was a bit weird weren't it like I don't know, did he not realise where he was on the pitch or I don't know, he just let it go over his head. But anyway, um, <laughs> yeah, it was good that we didn't. Re but there were a couple of, of occasions in the first half where I thought that he did squeeze up quite high. He made a couple of dummy runs into the. There was one situation where Arsenal were counterattacking down the left hand side and you saw Jacker busting a gut to get into the box, but he never had any intention of receiving the ball. It was I'm going to go across to kind of hopefully open that corridor for Martinelli a little bit wider. And he did that. Martinelli didn't do anything really with the ball when it arrived, but I thought he did some um, some good things, Granit Xhaka, in terms of his running. But there were a couple of times where he got caught up the pitch and then the turnarounds meant that we were very, very short uh, in the midfield area and when Leicester broke on us. And I thought in the second half, we addressed that slightly by dropping Xhaka a bit deeper. I'd suggest that we do that again against Liverpool, but we'll talk about that on the preview show coming up just because I'm a little bit worried about their ability to cut through us. And I think it could be a problem. Um, Sam says, has it now got to the point where you'd be disappointed to finish fifth, despite probably taking fifth at the beginning of the season? So yeah, at the beginning of the season, I absolutely 100% would have taken fifth. Not a doubt about it. You know, if you had told me at the start of the season, we're going to finish fifth, I would have I would have snapped your hand off. We'd have been back in Europe. It's progress on the last couple of seasons. 100%, I would have done it. Oh, yeah. If you'd have offered it to me, I would have taken it. When I say I'd done it, that's what I mean. I'd have taken it. But if we don't finish fourth, I, I will feel disappointed because I feel like we can do it. I still don't think it's done. I, every radio show I go on, every show I go on, and, and whenever I kind of show or express any shape of caution around talking about the top four race, everybody goes, oh, come on, what's wrong? Oh, come on, just enjoy it. But the, the fact of the matter is that I don't think it's done yet. I still think there's a long, long way to go. I think there's a lot of terrific, tricky fixtures to come. I think that we're still a couple of injuries away from being a significantly worse side. And I also think that 
you look at some of the fixtures that we would say on paper are easy, if you like, or ones that we should be winning, and you look at the way the Premier League table is shaping up, and there's a good chance they're going to be teams fighting for their lives when we play them. So it's not done. Um, but the fact that we are in this position now, that we're fourth in the middle of March, and we haven't played our games in hand yet, I have I would have to be disappointed if we missed out. But what I would say is I think that disappointment would probably ease as we move into the summer because obviously right at the end of the season, you're a little bit raw, aren't you? You're a little bit kind of wound up. And then as you go through the summer, you kind of start to chill out a bit. You know, we all get sucked into the transfer talk, blah, blah, blah. You kind of unwind a little bit and then you look back and then you start doing, like in my case, I'll start to do season review stuff. We'll look at individual players. We'll look at individual um, you know, we'll look at certain parts of the season and you'll say, yeah, um, you know, it, it actually, although we wanted fourth and although we missed out, it, it wasn't bad and there's clear progress. So I think it's one that will be hard to take at the time, but one that over uh, a time you will look at and go, well, OK, it's still disappointing, but it's still progress. So, yeah, I know I've gone around the houses a little bit there, but that's my answer. Uh, Innie, thank you so, so much for your kind Super Chat donation, mate. Really, really appreciate it. As I always say, all your Super Chat donations are a massive, massive help. So thank you uh, so, so much. He says, Harry, great result. Best part for me in this evolution is when I look at the first team, we're a midfielder and a striker away from a top-notch first eleven. That's a really good point. And, you know, quite often we've, or particularly after the January window, there was a lot of concern expressed about the lack of depth in this side. And I think there are areas where we do lack well, we do lack quality depth and that, if we're going to be in the Champions League next season, needs to be addressed. But you start by building the right 11 and then you build out from that. You don't overblow a squad full of players. You don't over-manufacture a squad, put too many people in there, uh, make it uh, heavy in some areas and then think, oh, well, I've got the wrong players. You need to systematically do this. You need to break it down. You need to strip it all back. You build your first 11 and then you build out from that. And I think Arsenal are going about it at least right now um, in the right way. Uh, going to take a couple more. Um I'm going to take a couple more and then I will wrap up because it is very late. Uh, Dave Atkinson says, Harry, how many more wins do you think we need to get fourth? I think seven. I think seven will do it as well. Um, you know, I put in the title 12 more cup finals because they all feel like cup finals. But you can be assured that the teams in the race with us are not done dropping points. Uh, we're going to drop points as well. We're not going to be immaculate between now and the end of the season. In fact, I think there's a lot of games that we could potentially drop points in. But if they don't, I think seven wins will probably... Well, no, sorry, let me rephrase that. I think that if we get seven wins, we're in a very good position to achieve it. Just based on that theory that I do think the others will drop points as well. But, you know, you're kind of sitting there hoping that some of the others will slip up in other areas and we can capitalise on that. And maybe then if we fall a little bit short, it still won't be fatal in our chances of qualifying for the Champions League. But Dave, that that looks about right uh, to me. Okay. I'm going to take one more. Um, Wesbird says, our mistake would be to assume that fourth is a done deal for definite. And we just have to go from game to game. But you have to hope that there is now a new mentality growing within the group. Yeah, look, you're, you're 100% right. To assume that fourth place is done would be a fatal mistake. It's not done. There's a lot of football still to be played. There's a lot of points up for grabs. And there's a lot that could go wrong between now and the end of the season, not just on the pitch, but off the pitch. You can lose players to injury in training. There's so many things that could still be our undoing and be our unravelling. Well, we are taking it from week to week at the moment. Every time we put in a performance and get a win like we did today, that will contribute to growing and building that mentality and improving that mentality. That Wolves win, Right, where we won the game in the 95th minute or whatever it was. That's a mentality builder. That is a mentality builder. Going away from home and winning handsomely um, at Leeds or, or, or at Norwich. I, I know they're teams that are struggling, but those are confidence builders. And that's how you build a mentality. It, it comes over time. It grows. It doesn't, it, it, you don't just wake up one morning and it's there. It 
mentality and yeah the mentality of a team is based on in my opinion 50% the mentality of the players in question and 50% based on the experiences that you as a team face and how you come through them. So you can say, yeah, we need the right characters. We need the right characters. We've got the right characters. But those characters only intertwine and combine and become one when they go through experiences of adversity and experiences of joy. And we've had a bit of both. And that's why this mentality is growing. And the more of those moments we have, the more I think that mentality develops and improves. And then when you when you have that right mentality and you've created, and I go back to that term again, the right culture, you then set this kind of environment where new players coming in, look at it, understand it, get it, recognize pretty quickly that they're not at a bloody holiday camp and they're not just here for the big salary and immediately have to get up to speed and immediately have to make sure that they are a part of that. And it helps. And it helps to consistently bring in players, get them up to speed quickly. It helps to consistently, you know, make sure that your recruits are coming in and are understanding of exactly what it is you're trying to achieve. If everybody's showing it, if everybody's living and breathing it, that's how it spreads. That's how people understand what's required. And that's how people uh, know how to get up to speed quickly. Okay, we are going to leave it there. Thank you all so much for tuning into the live show because I know it is really, really late uh, for some of our listeners. So I do really, really appreciate it. If you're listening uh, via YouTube, please do hit that like button. Let's get to up to a couple of hundred likes. We're still not quite there yet. Don't forget to subscribe to the channel if you're new and help us on the road towards 20,000. Uh, and of course, if you're listening via audio, please do leave us a review. I'll be back tomorrow uh, a little bit later. I'll be back tomorrow about five-ish um, with the tactical breakdown. Uh, and of course, I'll be on the 90-min gas tank on Monday at 11 a.m. We'll be talking about this game, uh, be with the usual lads, and we'll be running through the weekend's Premier League action and big talking points. Very much looking forward to that. If you're in New Zealand, I'll be on SENZ Breakfast um, as well. Uh, which should be cool too. So uh, yeah, just keep keep following, keep um, keep your notifications on, and uh, and we'll be doing lots of Arsenal talk, I'm sure, over the next few days. Uh, catch you all very very soon. Until next time, take care of yourselves and goodbye. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.